Ciao ragazzi! Uh, welcome to the show. As you can see, the the cat is away, so the mouse will play. I'm your host tonight, Richard Carmen. Uh, thank you for joining us once again. We're part of the World Football Index. Um, I am not alone in this one. I'm going to bring in my guest right away here. Uh, our guest says he's a television producer, and he's author of the book Golazzo, The Football Italia Years. Please welcome to the show, Jonathan Grade. How are we doing, sir? I'm very well. How are you? I am doing quite well. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, no Frank tonight, which is fine. Uh, he's feeling a little under the weather, but I uh, have a, a, a wonderful guest that I'm excited to have on the show here. Um, how's the weather in, in London? You're from London. You're in London, right? I am in London. The weather is um, classic December in London. Gray, cold, <laughs> wet, really cold, and very dark. But we have been assured we're getting snow this week, so that'll be something to look forward to. Well, you're gonna. I was gonna get snow before we are. It seems like because it's cold here, but it has the precipitation. It's been mostly rainy here. We're like, we're. It feels like it's London almost. It's raining all the time here. So, uh, always really, raining. always raining here. So anyway, um, welcome to the show. Welcome to City. Uh, sit down. Uh, so yeah, the reason we have you on, uh, we're excited about this because uh, you authored a book uh, called we just mentioned Golazzo, the Football Italia Years, uh, talking about calcio in the '90s, and in particular, Channel Four. Uh, they used to air. They used to air their uh, the calcio. I believe every Sunday nights um, there on Channel Four, or every Sunday afternoon, I should say. Um, every Sunday afternoon. Yeah, we um, just tell you a little bit about the show. We um, had a uh, live game every Sunday afternoon, um, and we had a show on the Saturday morning on Channel Four called Gazetta, which was a roundup of the previous week's action. It was like a magazine style show. We had features. We had a presenter based out there. Um, we had Gaza back then. We had all sorts, and it was um, it was an amazing time. And the show just took off from people having no no idea about Italian football, thinking it was potentially dull, negative. And our first game was um, a three all game, three all draw between Sampdoria and Lazio in '92. And from that moment, the whole thing took off massively in the UK. Wow. So, uh, so tell me about this book is amazing. And I, and I, and for those who are listening, please, you know, you should get this book as if you're, if you're, if you remember watching couch in the nineties, uh, this will bring back a lot of memories and, and this is story in particular. So tell me what got you to write this book. I mean, I, obviously you had the, that fantastic experience, you know, with, with channel four and, and, uh, getting to watch those tapes and, and all that stuff. So tell us what got you into what, what made you want to write this book? Well, it's a very interesting story. There's no, particular thing but um our commentator um was a guy by the name of peter brackley who was a very famous oh, yeah. commentator in the uk and he called all our matches and he was just our our number one commentator and he he'd do every week and basically um he actually sadly passed away two years ago and i went to his funeral and i saw all sorts of people from the production from all the programs he worked on over the years and i thought it would be nice to write a book about it. I think no one's really talked about these 10 years we were on air at such an iconic show. Right. We also had Ken, we also had Kenneth Wollstonehome, who was the voice of the 1966 World Cup final. We brought him out of retirement to work on the show. So it sort of felt like it had been nearly 20 years, but you know, no one had, um, no one had sort of closed that chapter or not, you know, just reflected on it. And I, I'm lucky enough to have a lot of the knowledge of the league from that time. And I just sat there and I thought, you know what, it'd be nice to pay tribute to these guys, but also to take things back to uh, to a really 
iconic time in Syria. And obviously, with the way of the world nowadays, it's sort of quite nostalgic, happy books to sort of read about. Yeah. And without getting too much into the book or anything like that, but uh, you, you said how, you know, you really hadn't seen or exposed too much uh, to, to Calcio until you started, you know, looking at these tapes and stuff and uh, you fell in love with the sport. Um, you know, he, the, that time in particular was uh, was amazing. So what is it like, you know, for you? Because I know uh, Gaza Mania was big in the early 90s. Um, what, what, what about it that drew you to the sport and made you want to get more and more each week? Well, I, I've always been a big uh, soccer stroke football fan, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, you know, I, I watched English football when I was young. Um, I was watched all the games. We didn't get that much overseas football back then. And all I could see back then was a procession of English players heading off for the big buck in Italy and it was the greatest league. There was all the money and they were all following it, following the move out there. And I thought, you know what? I, I'm really don't like this because we're losing all our talent and we're not seeing our best players. So anyway, I wasn't to get off the best footing with, with Calcio as it was back then. But <laughs> then I, then I did some work experience for the production company Chrysalis and they introduced me to Italian football. And I was just, I looked through all the results from the previous season. I couldn't believe Milan had gone unbeaten. The final day of the 91-92 season, they were 2-1 down at halftime at Foggia and turned it around to win 8-2. Yeah. And it was just, amazing. this is not boring. This is amazing football. <laughs> and so then I got into it. Then I actually only did a month's work experience with them. I travelled to Europe. I did a, a diploma in France. And I came back the following summer. And I spoke to the same company. I said, any chance of doing some work experience? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, be great. Getting ready for the new season. And then we went out for dinner before the season, asked for a job. And they gave me one. I had no television experience. And from that moment, I was hooked on Syria. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. And uh, it's funny because we one of our one of our, one of the things we say over and over on the show is that it's not your father's Syria anymore. Because nowadays there's so much scoring in Syria, but it also back in that day it was as well. And it's always been obviously Catanaccio is something that sticks with many people, especially outside of outside of Italy. Um, so anytime they talk about Syria, they always want to say, "Oh, it's boring. It's slow. It's no goals." It's like, no, it's far from it. You need to open your eyes and watch the game. It's uh, quite entertaining, and it has gone through ebbs and flows. It had the high scoring period, and then went down to very Catanaccio like, and now it's back to the scoring ways. Um, when you were writing this book, and obviously you 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 had some obviously memories and stuff that you wanted to, to elaborate on. Uh, but what was there anything in particular or any stories in particular that jumped out at you that when you were writing, you're like, oh, my goodness, I forgot about this. And it kind of like brought back memories that you forgot, completely forgot about. Yeah. Well, I, I'm very lucky that I remember quite a lot of it. But there were two, two incidents I wanted to sort of bring back in the public eye in this yeah. book. The first was the um, Juventus Inter match in 98 which was the scudetto showdown and yeah to anyone that wasn't aware juventus and inter were going hammer and tongs for the scudetto inter had the original ronaldo yep he he had unbelievable he was just the most complete striker it was his pace was frightening yeah and they had events had del piero and inzaghi and zidane and all of that that amazing side as well and they met in Turin. I think Juventus had a one or two point lead at the top. It was um, four games to go when they met. And 
Del Piero scored in the first half. It was 1-0 at half time, and we waited for second half. Second half, Ronaldo got um, body checks by uh, Mark Giuliano. Yep. No penalty. Juventus went down the other other end. In uh, Del Piero went over somewhat theatrically. The referee gave a penalty. All hell broke loose, and there were fights in Parliament the next day. Yep. Literally, literally punch-ups in Parliament. It's unbelievable. Um, and that, that sort of was the prelude to what eventually would happen in Calciopoli with Juventus, that there was always a suspicion that, you know, mm-hmm. Juventus had favours, bloody, bloody, blah. And actually that season, when you read about that season in the book, it's, uh, it's unbelievable because that season, the, these incidents happened all in one season. Juventus played Udinese. Udinese nearly went a goal up. Oliver Bierhoff, I think it was, lobbed the keeper, was about two feet over the line. They said, no, no VAR, no goal. Yep. Um, Juventus played Empoli away. 1-0 up. Empoli had a header over the line. Goal not given. Juventus played Lazio. Um, late on, handball, a crucial game. Lazio were on an unbelievable run. Uh, handball from, I think it was Juliano again. Not given, and then the insert can't. I, I described it in the book as the most controversial 15 seconds in the history of Italian <laughs> football. And I, I honestly, yeah. I honestly can't think of anything that can come. The, the whole, um, it was almost like Inter had their suspicions about what went on, and it exploded in 15 seconds. And the yeah. Inter coach Gigi Simone was sent off. I mean, it was absolute bedlam. Yeah, I remember that game in particular because we were actually uh, in the summertime when coronavirus first started. We uh, and Calcio wasn't around. Uh, we tried to stream some some of the old games, and that was one of the games we tried to stream unsuccessfully, mind you. Uh, YouTube took it down, but you know we we tried to watch that with the fans, and I, that game was just an, an iconic game, like as you mentioned. And tensions were super high; a lot was on the line, um, and obviously no VAR around and controversial calls. Things right. are going to get a little testy, you know. So. Um, but there's like you mentioned, there the '90s had so many teams. I mean, just uh, working that kind of era. You know, you, you mentioned Milan having such a that unbeaten run. They, they had great team early '90s in the middle '90s as well. Uh, Gaza coming over uh, with Lazio. Uh, you had Sampdoria, who's really good. You know, obviously Juventus had you know some big big name players like Baggio and Viali. Um, it was an amazing experience. I mean, amazing time to be working at watching those tapes. You know. Because back then, like like you said, the, the UK media had never seen this kind of stuff before. And, and to be able to cut it all together, your firsthand seeing all these highlights week in and week out. I mean, that's got to be amazing, uh, amazing yeah. experience for you. It was. I mean, on a on a, a live day, we'd, um, we'd obviously show up two or three hours before we were on air and, you know, do the whole rehearsal and everything. And then we'd have our game. And then there was a program where we got all our other – um, action from all the highlights of the other matches called um, Noventesimo Minuto, the 90th yep. minute. It's an Italian show. And we recorded it off Rye TV. Um, and basically, it was a roundup. It's about half hour, 40 minutes, but it was three minutes of each match that had been played that day. And that's where we got all our footage from. And oh my God, it's just so much, so much crazy stuff went on. It was mad. There was one incident in. 2000 2001 when inter fans threw and actually got into the san siro a vespa and threw it from the third <laughs> tier down yeah. to the second tier just, you think uh, how did that happen 
how does why would anyone want to get a Vesper into the San Siro to start? Oh, why would you want to throw it over? <laughs> and why would you want to throw it over? I mean, it is astonishing. Yeah. Astonishing. I mean, it's uh, the, the crowds back in the day were something special for sure. Uh, and with all those great teams, and you know, you mentioned all these great teams, and you know, Syria during that time period, you know, they had 13 European trophies, six world record transfers, six Ballon d'Or winners. Um, iconic players from Aspria to Zidane. I mean, you can name him. They were in that league. Um, <laughs> before we get into the current Calcio, um, was there a per- particular team that you, you like more than any other? I mean, obviously, there's some English players in the league that you were following very closely. Uh, did you have a team that, of, of any of the teams that you followed more than others, or was it just pretty much you just enjoyed watching Calcio? Oh, the, the cat's out of the bag now, isn't it? Oh, yeah. my Lord. Yeah. Um, I would have to say, my favorite team to watch was that Juventus side under Marcello Lippi, which yeah. that first season he went to Italy. They hadn't won the league in a decade and he transformed the club from top to bottom. And they, that side, that side when they had up front, they had their Viali, Ravinelli, Baggio and a, a certain young lad by the name of Del Piero. In fact, I've heard of him. Make feel really old. <laughs> 1994, 26 years ago, on this day, well, it is here, the 3rd of December. You may recall a certain game between Juventus and Fiorentina when Del Piero scored a volley. Yeah. One of the last kicks of the game. That was 26 years ago today. Oh, my goodness. 26 years ago. And Uh. that, that goal launched his career. And he became, after that season, he sort of been gone from a youth team player to like a regular fixture in that side and Juventus had Baggio and they saw Del Piero as the heir apparent and Baggio was offered an extended contract on half what he was on wage-wise and he said no and they almost drove him out and then he went to AC Milan and the next year AC Milan won the league but then after that point Juventus went back to back under under Lippi back-to-back titles and the year after that um del piero got that awful awful injury against Udinese, which ruled him out for almost a year and they imploded oh yeah that's uh some iconic teams and, and then the juventus team was uh quite strong obviously winning back-to-back titles like that um such a such a such a such amount of talent on that team it was just ridiculous was unreal unreal really uh so uh, before we get into the couch show, where can, where can our followers find your book if they were interested in getting the book? Right. It's on Amazon. Um, it's called Golazzo, the Football Italia Years. You just type in Golazzo and it comes up. It's, um, well, it's on in English pounds for $9.99 and it's available in the Kindle store for $7.99. And it has gone on sale for the past two weeks and it's doing well, but it's a very good Christmas present. I and I would I would concur to that because I actually got him a copy myself and I'm enjoying the read. I can't wait to finish this book. Uh, it's such it's such fun reading for sure. Uh, definitely brings me back to, to that time period and watching and remembering some of that calcio uh, that I remember growing up with. So uh, beautiful, beautiful stuff there. And we'll get you a plug in before we before we get you off on the show later. But this is uh, the city I sit down. So we're gonna get to some of the more recent games. But I think we're gonna start off with the Champions League games. <laughs> Thank you.
there were some interesting games in terms of the City Act clubs, and we'll start with uh, today's Wednesday. So Tuesday, we're going to start with the Tuesday games. Uh, first, we're going to start with uh, Inter Milan on the road at Mönchengladbach. Uh, that game uh, was a sensational game, uh, definitely a high-scoring one. Uh, scoring started first in the 17th minute through Matteo Damian, Darmian, excuse me, a 17th, and then Plié uh, get a, got a goal in the 45th stoppage time in the first half. Um, Romelu Lukaku would get a goal in the 64th minute and get a brace in the 73rd, and then Plié would get a, 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 his brace in the 75th. Inter would hold on to win three to two. That was a big result for Inter uh, in that game. Uh, you know they they've been struggling in the Champions League. There's no there's no ifs ands or buts about it. Um, obviously, uh, Gladbach had got their number earlier. Uh, they lost two games to Real Madrid. They they were struggling. They needed this win, didn't they? Oh god, hundred percent. I mean, Inter were teetering on the brink. Um, that game last night, I saw it. I was working on it and it was absolutely crazy inter started so well and they had a great chance i think uh, martinez had a chance to make it 2-0 then michael Gladbach came back into it got level four half time as you said and then at 3-1 it looked game over and then they gave away a, a sloppy goal yeah. and then with about five minutes to go was a, a hugely contentious var moment yeah. when yeah Player had a shot from the edge of the box, which left um, Handanovic unsighted. And it transpired that the player in his line of vision, um, Emblo, I think it was, um, had basically basically flicked the ball. I mean, there was no way the keeper could see it. So the right decision was eventually made. But yeah. pre-VAR, Inter would have been out of Europe. And that could be a huge call in the context of the group. Because... That group is astonishing because all four teams could go through yep. and all four teams could still go out. It's yep. and goes to was one week to go, one final match day. And uh, I think Inter have got, um, it will come back to me, a Shakhtar. And it's Munchen um, Gladbach and Real need a draw, but it's in Madrid and I don't think, I don't think anyone could call it, honestly. Yeah. It's it's certainly crazy because you know Shakhtar's got two wins against Real Madrid now, um, and you know Gladbach's gotten wins. I mean, like you said, anybody can win it, and and the chances are very you know Inter needs to show up because they they've been very inconsistent this season. We'll get into them in the in the regular season as well, but they've been very inconsistent. Their team on paper probably should be one of the two best teams in this group. Now, obviously, other other team that should be one of the best teams, Real Madrid, they're also struggling as well. Uh, so really seeing you know Shakhtar you know doing well. Obviously, Gladbach is doing really well in the in the Champions League as opposed to the Bundesliga. So um, they got they had they had some work to do, and they made up for it. I think in that game, uh, another team that needed to you know, to get a good result was uh, uh, Atalanta. Uh, they were they were hosting against uh, Michelin. Uh, Michelin did get the goal scoring started early by Alexander Schultz in the 13th minute, and that's not a good not a good sign for Atalanta. They've been struggling to keep goals out this season and been struggling to score goals, which is odd to say because they've been such a offensive juggernaut in the last couple of years. Uh, but they did get a, they did get a late one through Christian Romero. They get a one one draw, and it, it ended up being a good result for them. Um, Liverpool did their job did their job that they had to do against Ajax one nothing. Um, so Atalanta are still very much in their hands. They got a big game against Ajax uh, in the last match day. The winner takes all to get out, get out of this group. Uh, what are what are the chances do you give Atalanta to to get out of this group here now with just one game left against a pretty pretty decent Ajax squad? I think they've got their work cut out. I'd love them to go through. I think they're yeah. 
they're an incredible story. I mean, what they've achieved on absolutely a minuscule budget compared to the top clubs in Europe is to get to the quarterfinals and then to be back in. And I think that is going to be a hard game. But Atalanta only need a draw. They yeah. don't have to win the game. So a draw will suffice for them. I I think you can flip a coin, honestly. I think that they're very strong away. I mean, they went to Liverpool and won. I mean, they're just... They, they seem this year to be not have the consistency they had last year, but they seem capable of pulling off great victories when you don't expect it. No one expects them to win Liverpool. I know Liverpool yep. were slightly weakened, but whatever team Liverpool puts out is a very strong side. Especially at home. And, especially at home. And I think um, I think they, they should have no fear. I mean, I don't really think they've got anything to lose because they go out, they go out. But I think they've got a chance. But I think a draw, I don't see them winning there. I'll probably make it look ridiculous now when they win 5 0 or something. But <laughs> I, I think it's going to be either a draw or an Ajax win. And I think it's going to be sort of either a 1 all or a 2 1. I think it's going to be very tight. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, it's going to be tight. It's going to be difficult to, to get a win. But like you said, they, they're very capable of pulling a 5 nothing victory out of their, out of their pocket. Um, it w- it, the inconsistency that they've had this year, you know, at least last year they would score goals. They would give up occasional goal, but they could at times, especially towards the end of the season, they found ways to really lock down defensively and keep teams out. Uh, they came very defensively stout towards the end of the season, but this year they can't stop anybody. They can barely score. It's been very inconsistent at times. At times you see the, the flashes of the brilliance and then it goes back to being inconsistent. Uh, the other, other blue and black team, in the league has the same issues. You know, they're very talented as well. And they're having their, their problems, but um, good points for, for Atalanta. Uh, they're still in the fight. Like I said, with one match to go, you couldn't ask for more. A draw gets them through. They don't have to win. Uh, so th- things are looking good for them. Uh, a team with a manager who's probably arguably having the, the manager of the season so far, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm talking about Simone Inzaghi and his Lazio squad. Uh, they obviously had picked. They had the shock, shock win of the of the first match day against uh, Dortmund, um, or second match or whatever. It was the first time they played. Uh, they won three one, and so many wondered, you know, with them doing so well, how would they do against Dortmund again? Uh, Dortmund did get the goal scoring started early in the first half, forty fourth minute. Rafael Guerrero makes a one nothing, uh, but Lazio would get a tie, uh, tie it up in the sixty seventh minute through a penalty. Uh, Immobile would convert it as he always does. One one, Lazio would get the draw on that one. Um, the job that Simone Inzaghi has been doing, uh, not many people gave them a chance, Lazio, to get out of their group. And right now they're sitting very pretty. Um, I don't know if they've guaranteed the, the, the progression to the knockout stage with that draw, but uh, they're in a great place right now. They're, they're, doing well, they're decent in the league. They're doing really well in Champions League. I mean, Simone Inzaghi, with what he's had to go through with the COVID cases and injuries and everything, and the team still being producing on, on game day, uh, it's been a magical job by him so far. He's done phenomenally well. I mean, you just look. I mean, before this season, he's come pretty close to getting the league title. I mean, they've yeah they've been phenomenal. Um, regarding tonight's game, um, that was a phenomenal result for them because yeah. it now means they just they just need a draw at home to Bruges, which will get them through. Um, I don't think people thought they get anything in. Dortmund and they are so strong at home. So to pick up four points from those two games is quite an effort by them. Yeah. 
No, absolutely brilliant by them. Uh, and then uh, a team that, uh, to round out the Champions League teams, I should say, uh, Juventus, uh, they've been struggling over the last few games, especially the last game against Ferencvaros, where everyone thought they were going to roll, steamroll them um, at home, and they did not. They eked out a 2-1 victory. This time they would go against one of the, you know, the better Ukrainian teams in Dynamo Kiev. Um, but this time, unlike last game, they found their goal scoring ways. Federico Chiesa opened the scoring in the 21st minute. Cristiano Ronaldo scores as he always does in the 57th minute. And then Alvaro Marata, who's been hot lately, uh, he scored in the 66th minute. Juventus take all three points. Um, looks like it. Well, them and them and Barcelona were always going to be the favorites in that in that group, uh, and they found ways both of them uh, to progress to the next next stage. Um, are you are you convinced that this game was just a one off, or was this Juventus finally starting to turn the corner in terms of their goal scoring ways and trying to be more attractive? Because they've been very inconsistent. I I I cannot decide um, how the season's going to go for Juventus. They're like I, Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> they are unbelievable. I mean, they struggled against Benevento. Juventus in past years would win in Benevento. They beat Verona at home comfortably, yeah. and they'd win at Crotone. And they've they've frittered points away at these clubs where they normally just show up, and if they're not on their game, they eke out a one nil or a two nil. They're just like a relentless machine. Um, but this season, I know it's um, it's a new coach. And I know, even though he won the league, Sarri was always sort of on a bit of a hiding to nothing there because of his Napoli past and how he he was very sort of uncomplimentary in previous years about Juventus and yeah. the way they're favoured in fixture, how the fixtures panned out, whatever. I am... I, I just don't know what's going to happen with the Juventus this year. Um, they um, Pirlo needs time. Obviously, they can't. Yeah. You know, Juventus don't sack managers mid-season at all. No. Um, so um, he's going to be given the season, obviously. And you just sense this is the beginnings of not their empire crumbling, but just a bit of a change in Syria. It just has that feel that they're at an end of an era there massively dependent on Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, hugely, hugely. If he's not on his game, they they struggle for goals, whereas in previous years, they've had like Higuain and Dybala scoring more. Dybala used to they score. Just, <laughs> they just don't seem to... They don't seem to have that that killer instinct they had and they, they're, they're leaking silly goals. And it, it's just... It just feels like there's a there's a bit of a change coming into Syria, which is which is not great for Juventus, but it's absolutely fantastic for the league. Absolutely, and I, I think the the one player I think that they have that has the potential to lead them is Alvaro, Alvaro Morata at the moment, because uh, he is getting, getting goals in bunches. It seems like um, Kulishevsky seems to have lost his way lately, as has Dybala, and it, it's just maybe them trying to figure out where they fit in this system for Pirlo. He's obviously trying to do different things here and there. He wants to play attractive football. That's what Juventus want to play. It just takes them a while. I think we we talked to uh, Juventino, uh, just just Juve, not too long ago, and he's talking about how said all the players have been praising what Pirlo's been doing. It just takes time. And I think, like you said, Pirlo needs more time before this finally hopefully clicks in for them that they start playing the way he wants and they start playing more beautifully. But at the moment, they're playing very stringy, resourceful, I don't know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Uh, not necessarily pretty. It's reminding them days of the days of Allegri when they used to have him. At least, but back then, at least they won. Now they're more drawing than not. So, um, yeah. 
certainly an interesting take by them. Uh, obviously, we got two Europa League games tomorrow, uh, or three Europa League games tomorrow that we're, we're not going to get into because um, anything can happen in those games. They're obviously in the future, and we can't predict that. So let's get over to Serie A games. Uh, we'll, I'll run through the scores really quickly, and then we'll, we'll talk about some of these games here. <laughs> Uh, starting off, the, the game started off with a big game, Sassuolo hosting Inter. Uh, Sassuolo obviously been one of the hot teams when to talk about teams this Serie A season, seeing how they would match up against Inter, who have been very inconsistent. Well, as nobody guessed, uh, Inter won the game 3-0. We got goals in the f- uh, fourth minute by Alexis Sanchez, uh, an own goal in the 14th minute by Kiriches, uh, and then rounding out the goal scoring in the 60th minute, Galliardini. Inter walk away with that win, 3-0, shockingly. As you alluded to, Benevento and Juventus, they would lock up 1-1 goals by Morata in the 21st minute. And then Letizia with a fantastic volley, goal of the week candidate uh, in the stoppage time of the first half. That would be all the goals in that game, 1-1. Atalanta, Hellas, it's uh, two teams of uh, a goal-scoring team and a very defensive team. Who would win that battle? Well, we saw the defensive team won that one. Hellas, Verona, uh, wonderfully done to completely... Uh, negate what Atalanta do. Their goalkeeper, obviously, Silvestri, is fantastic. Uh, goals by Veloso, a penalty in the 62nd minute. And then Zaccani with a goal of the week candidate in the 83rd minute. 2-0 victory there. Udinese with one of the shock score lines of the weekend. 3-1 victory over Lazio. Uh, goal scoring started for them in the 18th minute. Arcian in the 18th minute. And then uh, Posuto in stoppage time of the first half would make it 2-0. Um, Forestieri would get a, a goal of the week candidate in the 71st minute, and then Immobile would get a goal back for the host uh, in the 74th, but it would be not enough. 3-1 there. Uh, Bologna against Crotone, uh, the long goal in that matchup would be a goal of the week candidate in, 40, in 45th minute in stoppage time. I bet Soriano. Uh, Bologna win that game. Uh, entertaining game despite the low-scoring scoreline. Um, moving on to Milan hosting Fiorentina. A uh, 2-0 victory for Milan in that one. Goals by Romagnoli and Frank Kessi. Uh, Cagliari Spezia, a, a very entertaining game. And Spezia, I don't know if you if you got to see this game or saw highlights of it, but Spezia with their blue jerseys. Uh, I don't know about you, but I like those jerseys a lot. Uh, what did you make of him? I am, unfortunately, I couldn't see Cagliari Spezia amongst all the games I saw last week. Um, but are they as nice as this blue? Yes, it was it was oh, quite wow. nice. They were very okay. nice jerseys. I was I was surprised that they came out with those jerseys. Uh, it was very beautifully done. Oh, uh, have, a look. have a look online. Yeah, um, definitely have a look at that. Uh, it was it was very nicely done by Spezia, but uh, maybe they helped them with some of the goal scoring that game. And the two two goals in the thirty six minute by Giassi, a goal of the week candidate, a wonderfully uh, assist, uh, slaloming through all the players and sliding it over to Giassi. Uh, that was done by um, uh, oh my god. Bastoni, excuse me, I forgot to slip, slip my mind there. Um, Jao Pedro will get a goal in the 52nd. Pavoletti with a goal of the week candidate back. He'll flick 58th. And then in stoppage time, Zola will get a penalty 2-2 that game. One of the games of the weekend uh, we thought was going to be one of the games of the weekend. Napoli hosting Roma. 4-0 victory. Obviously, this weekend was a uh, difficult weekend for many Calcio fans and football fans all around the world with the passing of Diego Maradona. Uh, we Every team paid their tribute to Maradona. Uh, both before the game and also in the 10th minute with a stoppage uh, and clapping and saluting for Maradona. But we all wanted to see what Napoli would do. They came out with their beautiful striped jerseys. Uh, really, really well done by them. Very classy by them. Uh, and, of course, uh, leave it to uh, 
Insigne, the, the captain and Napolitano to get the goal scoring started. Uh, the 31st minute did a nice tribute to Maradona after his goal. Uh, Fabian Ruiz would make it 2-0 in 64th. Mertens in the 81st minute. And then another goal of the week candidate, Politano, in the 86th. 4-0 thumping by Napoli. Em- emphatic statement in that game. Uh, and then the last two games of the of the, of the weekend, Torino-Sampdoria, very entertaining matchup. Uh, Belotti would get the goal scoring for Torino. Candrevo would equal it up in the 54th. They would actually take the lead through another beautiful goal by Qualiarella. And then Miete would get a goal in the 77th to make it 2-2. And to round it all out, uh, Parma beating Genoa. Liverani saving his job for one more week. Gervinho would get a brace. Two goals, a goal in the 10th minute, goal in the 47th minute. They went 2-1 on the road. Um, a lot of things to talk about in this one. Obviously, to talk to lead all of this is obviously the passing of Diego Maradona. A very difficult he, he, player who meant a lot to many people. Uh, for people like you and I, we know that we what we knew for Maradona was mostly through the World Cup because uh, we didn't have really City uh, live streaming as much as you know other people in in Europe or uh, around the world. So at least for me, I know growing up in a, in a South American household, we watched Diego Maradona all the time. Um, you know, we always watch Argentina. What were your memories of of Maradona growing up in the eighties and nineties? Well, actually, since we last spoke, actually, I just had a thought about Maradona. Shall move on to the set, but obviously. The 86 World Cup, um, Argentina, England, the famous Hand of God goal, which we still don't talk about. Or do. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, you know this goal a couple of minutes later, that incredible yeah. run through yeah. the whole England defence. Um, and then in that that tournament, they were, they were phenomenal. Um, four years on in um, Italy, they actually played Italy in the semis in Naples. And it was almost like a home game for Argentina. Yeah, it was. Astonishing. It was astonishing. And then they got beaten in the final. When I was working on Football Italia, we we actually had a tape, an archive tape. We, I don't know where we got it from, but it was in our library. And it was a tape of Maradona's highlights from when he was playing for Napoli. So we used to run in this various goals or whatever into some of our features. And some of the goals, I mean, Staggering talent, staggering, staggering talent. I read a story by um, one of um, Maradona's teammates, Barcelona. He would, when he was unveiled at the um, new Camp for Barcelona, he had the ball in his hand. He kicked it up so high, like higher than the stadium, and the ball came down in exactly the same bot- spot and he controlled it. And he did that about five times. He, he, Amazing skill. His gifts were unbelievable. Amazing skill by him. I mean, just watching some of the warm-ups he had when he was with Napoli. I just it looked like he was just playing around there, but the skill set, I mean, just to do what he could do. Like you said, like you mentioned, kick the ball way up high. This happened, and I mean, the control this guy had. Uh, unreal. Obviously, one of the greatest players ever. Um, maybe, you know, to, to me, from what I've seen, he's the you know, greatest player ever, but fantastic. And it's a great loss for. Not only Serie A, but you know, for world soccer, really, and all the tributes that we saw throughout the league, um, none were bigger than I think in Napoli. Fans came out and and droves outside of Italy. Uh, oh, look, we got a we got our hosts on here. Look at this, Frank is on. Hey, Frank, we're just talking about Maradona. Hi, guys. I uh, you know I'm I, I'm 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 I got yelled at by my wife uh, for uh, wanting to jump on the show all of a sudden. <laughs> Because <laughs> she said, she said, you're, she said, Richard, you were doing a good job on your own without me. So, 
so I don't he's even. I, I think it's just going to be fair. Yeah, he is. He's doing an outstanding job. I, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning my existence now. So, wow. uh, <laughs> Frank, we were just talking about Maradona and especially the tribute yeah. Napoli paid for them and the fans that came out at the side of the stadium. Um, obviously, what Insigne and the club did for them. Um, what would you would you take from this? Obviously, it's a, it's a difficult loss with Maradona. What would you get from this weekend? Um, I, I think that you know what everybody did in the league uh, was was tasteful um and and appropriate um uh, you know everything from you know the the minute silence uh the black armbands uh the 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 time to stop the match in the 10th minute for the applause uh you know the tribute that napoli paid in particular i think that that all of it was was absolutely appropriate for for an icon um uh, you know of all of world football you know in particular the italian game when you consider you know what he meant to napoli yeah he he basically I mean, what he did for Napoli will go down in folk and has gone down in folklore to to go to Napoli and win two titles, and it's just what, the impact. It, the thing about Napoli is, um, it's not just about the club; it's about it's the pride in their city in the south. Yeah. You know, not the most affluent of places, and it's all about them. And they're all obsessed by football, obsessed by Napoli, and they're definitely among the most passionate fan base in the whole of Italy and to have someone come in from overseas, play for them, win them two titles from nowhere Yeah, to, to do that, uh, you know, hero. I saw a comment online over the weekend, how they said, you know, Messi and Ronaldo, they just want to go to winners and, and, and prove themselves amongst winners for a challenge. And Maradona went to Napoli when no, when it was, they weren't even considered a favorites and they took them from really nothing and make them this great team. One's two Scudetti, like you mentioned, um really fantastic stuff by them um yeah it's just uh really wonderfully done and i think you know let's talk about the game napoli against roma uh a game where two teams who were very good yeah you, you know we talked about how roma was went on a had a pretty good run what was it went five or six games something like that you know heading into this one napoli's obviously very talented uh, missing Ossiman, but they're still very both teams their midfields are wonderful their possession base um, create a lot of opportunities. I thought going into this game, this would be a great test to see uh, how good Romo really was. We knew Napoli because they already had some tests early in the season, how that they were a legit team. Roma still had, uh, they had a couple games under their belt, but really wasn't, we weren't anything proven yet. And this would have been a great opportunity. However, they came up to that immovable force, not only Napoli, but the whole aura of Diego Maradona and Napoli really want to play for him. I think that became a, a, a mountain too high to climb, uh, what did you make uh, uh, with uh, Jonathan with the way Napoli just dismantled Roma in this game, the four nothing scoreline? It was hugely impressive. I mean, I'm I'm a bit of a traditionalist, and I I think sometimes things are meant to be. And there was no way Roma were going to win that match, no, no matter what no. what run of form they've been on. At, but what the way Napoli took them apart, and you know, it was a real statement victory. That it wasn't just paying tribute to Maradona and they won the game. They put Roma to the sword, um, yeah. Yeah. scored yeah. four goals. Not many teams are going to score four against Roma this season. And they just, they were, Napoli on their day are, are breathtaking. And when yeah. they were going, there was, there's a very strong argument saying when they were going head to head two years ago with Juventus for the title, Napoli played the better football. Yep. Juventus were the consistent machine, Correct. but Napoli played the better football. 
Absolutely. They they were really the first uh, offensive team around. And, you know, the last few years, obviously, you got teams like Atalanta, Sassuolo, and some other teams that, you know, play more attractive style football. But Napoli were really the ones who kind of began this whole movement of playing beautiful football. And really, no one's matched their style. Atalanta, at times, does match it, uh, obviously, last year and so. But, but Frank, uh, four goals. We had two goal of the week candidates. Obviously, Insigne with a wonderful free kick goal to start it off and paying a tribute to Maradona. And then Politano, his goal at the end, just slaloming through a la Maradona, going through like four or five guys to get that goal. Um, I mean, it wasn't just one person. It was a team effort in this one. They obviously all were playing for number 10, uh, and it showed in their game. When Even if they don't have all their best players, they're still hard to beat. I think the the occasion, um, you know, to kind of uh, piggyback what John said, uh, the, the occasion was going to be too big for Roma because of what Maradona meant to Napoli and Napoli owed, um, you know, what's the best way to pay respect to an icon of your club? You know, yeah. put on a performance that's Suited for fitting him. of his legend. And that's exactly what we saw from Napoli here. I mean, uh, they scored four. Uh, there's, I think, and I'm trying to remember the chances exactly. There's at least two or three that they should have scored and did yeah. it. And this could have been worse. Yeah. Uh, so four nil flattered Roma. Um, you know, and then I think that, you know, in the background, uh, I thought going in, I thought that Napoli had the advantage in this going in with, you know, both of them having to play three days before in the Europa League, but Napoli having the comfort of being able to play at home against Rijeka, being able to rotate and rest some players where Roma had to travel uh, to Romania to play Cluj. And now all of a sudden you pack your bags. Now you got to go to Napoli and play, you know, in the Derby della Sud. Um, oh, and by the way, you get to play them, you know, <laughs> right after Maradona died. So good luck to you. Um, so I, I and I thought that, you know, Roma's begging to be tagged. And John, you're right. That Roma will not give up four goals often this season, but they'll also, you know, not have a, a makeshift back three where they're asking Brian Cristante to deputize as part of a back three, um, you know, where they're going to have guys like Smalling, um, you know, available where he's obviously a little bit more of an enforcer. And I'm not saying his, his presence would not have mattered in this game. I think Napoli was convincing enough that you could have put Nesta back there um, and it was going to be a problem. <laughs> Uh, so, um, yeah, I, you know, it was, it was just a convincing performance from Napoli. There's not much more you need to say than that. Yeah. You know, so talk about another game that I thought was big, um, you know, inter, let's go back to the inter Sassuolo matchup that game, you know, where it was, everyone wanted to see, cause you yeah, obviously Sassuolo have been playing beautiful football this year so far, uh, inter had been very inconsistent. So most people thought that Sassuolo had a very good chance of winning this game. If nothing else had been a draw. What we saw was a very opportunistic inter side, John. Um, despite their inconsistencies this season, despite all their fans calling for Conte's head this season, a little prematurely. Oh, by the way, they're one of the they're up there in the table, not too far behind Milan. Um, they found a way to get three three wins, three goals, and excuse me, in this game. Um, they they figured it out in this one. It was a, a game that they needed to show up, and they showed up. Yeah, I mean, I. I honestly don't know what to read into Inter this year. I mean, yeah. Sassuolo started so well. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's bizarre. But Inter can do that. They've got so much talent in their squad. I mean, they've got so much firepower. Lukaku looks like a man possessed this season. And um, they, Inter are just, if I was an Inter fan, I'd be so frustrated because the game against Torino was sort of a microcosm of their season, you know, go two nil down in the game 
you should win comfortably and then suddenly turn on. They've done that a few times this year. They've gone behind, especially at the San Siro, and they've cut, They've turned it round within minutes. There was another game off the top of my head. I can't remember who it was. but they And they've had this poor campaign in Europe. But at the end of it all, they're right on Milan's coattails and they could easily get to the round 16 of the Champions League. So if that happens, why is he under pressure? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean... It's like Milan. It's something about the Milan water that all their fans are just crazy no matter what, whether they're doing well or not. It's just going to be rabid fans. Frank, uh, what'd you make of Inter's performance, or, or even more importantly, what'd you make of Sassuolo's import, uh, lack of showing up in this game? I think it's harsh on Sassuolo. I actually thought they played pretty well. Yeah. Um, I, thought their, I thought they played their game. I thought they, they had the lion's share of the possession, which is what they want. Um, they had Andanovic is good. Andanovic yep. is good in this game. But Sassuolo only put three on target, um, you know, and, and Andanovic, I think there was one where he was troubled, but the other two were comfortable or something like just trying to remember what, you know, th- th- those sequences of chances were, you know, but I, I there wasn't really a departure from what Sassuolo did. You know, Inter was opportunistic. They let Sassuolo have the ball for longer periods of time, you know, and, and hit him on the break, which is what I think is Inter's best way of playing. I agree. Um, when you can, you know, and in this game they had Lotaro and Alexis up front, but when you have Lukaku in the game and he can be a big target and he's the first guy you can get the ball out to and he can absorb punishment and hold the ball, and then you've got guys that can just whip around him or 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 show for him from the midfield, whether it's Barella, whether it's you know what or, or um, I'm not going to say Erickson because he seems frozen out, <laughs> you know, and then guys got that guy's going through like Hakimi, um, you know, it's a it's a they're built to counterattack. Uh, so the situation set up well for them. Um, and, um, you know, and, and I, like I said, I don't think Sassuolo were necessarily poor. I just think it was a three nil game where Inter were opportunistic, took advantage of the chances. Inter played the game they wanted to play and they played their game better than Sassuolo played their game. And that's what it came down to. Sorry. I just wanted to, to come in. Um, what you said about Inter's counterattacking style was exemplified against Mitchell Gladbach last yeah. night. Yeah, in the, absolutely. Lukaku with the two goals on the counter-attack. And they got the pace in the side. They got the strength of Lukaku. They just they are designed to play that way. And maybe yeah. playing away suits them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, less pressure, it seems like. And I think you mentioned it. Lukaku is just having a, a, a wonderful year so far. I mean, obviously losing the weights obviously helped a lot. But his... His confidence is through the roof at the moment. I mean, we've heard all those, you know, in 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 the past how he's not a big game player, and I, I disagree now with Inter. He's become a big game player for them. Obviously, with the brace against Gladbach, uh, it's, it's turned up in City Eye. He's going to be one of the best leading school scorers this year. Uh, he's really transformed into this leader on this team, someone that they can build upon. And when the times get rough, he bullies his way to get that goal, to get that team to to move on to the next level. And it's uh, he's an important player for them. Whether you know. Mostly in Champions League now, not necessarily in this game against Sassuolo, but um, a huge player for them. Inter uh, third third best away form in Serie A uh, to yeah. start the season. They've they've played five, they've won three, they've drawn twice, and have only conceded four times. Versus when they're at home, um, it's a different animal. Uh, they've won two, drawn one, and lost one, and all of those games are an adventure. Uh, Eleven goals for and nine goals against. So. Um, they seem to have it a lot more to your point, John, they, they seem to have it a lot more under control when they're on the road because they can play the game that best suits them. Yeah. And they can't even blame the fans putting them under pressure. This <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, 
they they look they they look very strong. I, I saw their game last night and them they they must madden their supporters because they were cruising in that game <laughs> and then um Munchen Gladback get a goal back and then it's you know panic stations. They do seem mentally to be quite brittle. Um they they don't have that incredible mental strength you label maybe that the great Juventus sides we've seen. They right. they are susceptible to conceding. Um, but the thing I want to say about Lukaku is you get strikers in whatever whatever game you watch, you get strikers who, who look good. But Lukaku, I think, is one of those strikers that when he gets a chance, he just doesn't look like missing. He mm-hmm. the, yeah. he very rarely wastes a one-on-one. He just, he's so clinical. And, you know, I think he's perfect for Inter away from home with, with their counter-attacking style and that he can get a chance, he'll finish it for you. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Interisi just need to calm down. You're second in the table, second. Well, you're five points behind Milan, but you're still you're second place. So calm down, get off the ledge. You're fine. Relax. Okay, <laughs> could be worse. You could be having Liverani as your manager. Just saying, just saying. Um, <laughs> speaking of inconsistent teams, uh, let's jump over to Juventus against Benevento, a game that like you like we talked about earlier. Most seasons they would have this game back bagged and wrapped and off to the next game. No, they struggled in this game. Obviously, a wonderful goal by Letizia in stoppage time in the first half. But they couldn't. They really couldn't break him down. Obviously, uh, the goalkeeping had something to do with it. But, you know, Juventus were put under pressure. A lot of pressure by Venevento. Um, Chesney had to come up with some big saves at this game. What are you making of this, I guess, the uh, new romance frailties, you know, under Pirlo so far that they, they seem to can't get it right? I mean, they're so, super dependent on Ronaldo, as you mentioned. So when he's not there, even when he is there, it's still a hard time for them. It's um, it's evident that Ronaldo is carrying the team at the moment. I mean, it, it, it is evident. Um, Juventus in previous seasons will go to Benevento, keep a clean sheet, win 2-0. They beat Verona at home comfortably, and they're dropping points. Um, it, As I said to you earlier, it, it does feel like the beginning of a change in Syria. It just has, they don't have that aura of inc- invincibility anymore. Their best players, I mean, Ronaldo's obviously scoring yeah. goals left, right, and center, but Dybala's not playing as well as he can. There's not goals coming from elsewhere in the team. Their sort of strength in the um, Chiellini Bonucci partnership, they've had in, they've been out injured. It just, it seems very stop start. And the cynical view in Europe, you hear this one out. There's a lot. There's a definite school of thought that says Pirlo is a stopgap until they can get a big name. Yeah, and he will. And the thing about appointing Pirlo is he will get time because he's an absolute favorite of the fans. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, uh, Frank um, Benevento faced a lot of shots. Or they gave a lot of shots to Juventus. I think they had something like nine shots in the game, four on target. Uh, it wasn't like Chesney didn't have any work to do. He had lots of work to do in this game. Um, this is this more credit to Benevento just sticking to their game plan and Zaghi finding a way for their guys to just push the right buttons, or is this Juventus still working through their through their growing pains? A little bit of both. Um, you know, and I look at uh, when I look at Benevento's numbers here. I mean, I, they got out possessed. You know, and clearly Juve came out and played the way Pirlo seems to want them to play. Yeah. Um, you know, on another day, Juve win this game. 
you know, all you have to do is look at the statistics with what happened here. Uh, but I think that, you know, you, you say growing pains, you know, I, I still believe that this is a work in progress, this Juventus. Yeah. Um, and whoever would have come in, you're working in new midfielders, you're working in new players here and there. At some point, that's got to stop being an excuse. Yeah. Um, you know, but you're also deputizing fullbacks as center backs, you know, just like, you know, where Roma played Cristante as, as a center back and, <laughs> you know, when he's a midfielder. So, um, you know, so I think that you're with with all of this influx of talent, I think they're still trying to find the right mix. They're still trying to find the right rotation. And let's not forget they're playing every three days um, regularly. All of these teams, all of these top teams are um, and they're being asked to they're asked, being asked to figure it out. Um, easier to do when you've got a team that <clears throat> is cohesive and has played together and there hasn't been a whole lot of change to them like a Milan. Mm-hmm. Okay. A uh, lot more challenging for a Juve, which is working in different players, for an Inter that's working in different players. Okay, Napoli, there's not a whole lot that changed to them. They added a dynamic center forward who's now hurt. So easy for them to go back to what they were doing before he arrived. Also, man, um, you know, the team that, you know, the team that I do think is surprises me that should be a little bit of an, as you were um, with ha- with having to play every three days and having the players in, in you know, they've got a decent enough rotation is Atalanta. Yeah. Um, you know, this you would think that having to play this hectic schedule would suit them because there's not so many players that they would have they would have had to have worked in. Yeah, they've got Romero playing in back. Um, Alexi Maranchuk has not played much. Uh, you know, they're you know, they're working in some guys in the midfield where they're having some issues, but there's not too much of a departure. So that one's maybe an outlier from every from from where my thoughts are on this. Um, you know, and I think that you know the rigors of trying to get off to the right start in league and then also trying to qualify in the champions league and get onto the next stage while working in a whole bunch of new players, you know, that's a, that's a whole set of challenges. And that's a lot to ask a first time manager at a high level. Yeah, I, I agree about that. It's a difficult task for anyone, especially a first time manager, like you said with Andrea Pirlo, um, any closing thoughts on uh, Juventus, Jonathan, before we talk about our last topic of uh culture here? Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, um, I think things are going to change in the new year. I think when Champions League after next week, when that stops, then there will be they will get more breaks, and I think yeah. that's going to be interesting when we're in that stage mm-hmm. as to how Juventus perform on a weekly basis. They've got a huge game coming up at the weekend in in the derby with Torino. I mean, a huge game, yep. and they can't drop points in that one, but they have been dropping points at home, which is very un Juventus like mm-hmm. um so that's all, no matter what the story is Juventus Torino is always a huge occasion even with no fans so I I think they've really got to send a message this this weekend this Saturday that they are very much in with a shout this year and they're they're not going away yeah, I, th- I think once the game starts slowing up and you go back to once a week, whatever, the two teams are going to benefit the most, I think, are Juventus and Inter. We know Conte is an excellent manager when he has a week to prepare for a matchup and these short rests are very hard for him. And obviously the team is inconsistent as a as a as a as a well, uh, uh, that's what happens. <laughs> I, think, I, think, here. <laughs> I think you're going to see this final group game between Barcelona and Juventus 
as pretty much a glorified training session between a yeah. bunch of youth. There's yeah. no way Messi and Ronaldo will be going out there when they finish first, they finish second. It's been proven in recent years. Yeah. You can get a better draw finishing second sometimes than finishing top of the group. I think it's just a routine match and they're both through and there's no way the big players will be risked. It's not going to be a Messi against Ronaldo mm-hmm. next week. No, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, the last team I want to talk about uh, is obviously the resurgence of Milan. Uh, they're in first place and now have a five-point lead. Uh, 2-0 win against Fiorentina. They had two penalties in this game, one converted by Kessier, the other one not converted. I think it was um, the first penalty, well, obviously legit. I thought the second one was a little, little 50-50 on that one, and I think it was deserved saved in that one. Uh, Dragowski did a great to anticipate it. I have always been a fan, not a fan of the slow slow run-ups to the kicks. Um, but I think Milan, what we've seen is that they're finding ways to win no matter what, whether they have their best player, Zlatan, or they don't. Uh, they're not as dependent on him as they were maybe at the beginning of this run. Uh, they've got a lot of contributions. Salamakers is really showing up. Obviously, they're still led by Kiar. Romagnoli had one of his best games uh, in a long time. Uh, the team is really playing well right now, and they're looking like a team that could possibly challenge for the Scudetto. It's, it's still early, but right now they got a five-point lead. Uh, we're talking we're in December now. It's um, Jonathan, it's uh, it's nice to see for Serie A to have another big club back in the limelight, for now at least, momentarily at least. They're on uh, an unbelievable run. There's 24 matches, is it? Yes. It's, it's sort of heading to, back towards Fabio Capello. <laughs> exactly, <there>. exactly. <laughs> you know? um, but, you know, they're, they've got an advantage. They've not got, I mean, um, are they, are they, they're in the Europa League, aren't they? Yeah, Europa League, game? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, that's obviously European football, but it's not where they want to be in Europe. Right, so right. they've got they've got a really good shout this year. They've, the thing about Milan is, in recent years, they haven't reacted, in my opinion, so well to setbacks. And this year, they've, had, they've been up against it. They've had Ibrahimovic out with COVID. They haven't had the coach there with COVID. And they've just got on with it. And they've shown a, a very impressive sort of inner strength if you like they they look this i mean this looks like a milan side that has every chance of going all the way this year there's going to be twists there's going to be turns you're going to see juventus have a spell you're going to see inter have a spell but at the end of the day i think it'll be between those three but milan have got as good a shout as they've had in years to get a title frank we were just on the culture connection pod and we talked about how uh, teams that have these long unbeaten runs when they lose, and at that point they had lost to Lille three nothing. That often sends up another uh, reaction of consecutive losses after that. Milan they bounced back after that and continued winning again. They found their undefeated form again and said, "Yeah," and then they went back to Lille and, and got a draw on that one. The mental toughness is there, Frank. It seems like in the past when they would have lost like they did, they would continue losing on. Then now they found that strength to kind of figure a way to win to continue winning, even if they don't have Zlatan. And, and and you can and you attribute that to having a player like Zlatan Ibrahimovic in your ranks, who's a champion who has won everywhere. Uh, you attribute that to Simon Kiar, who is a veteran presence in that dressing room. Okay, um, you know, uh, and I think and and you're seeing now these younger players growing up too. You know, Romagnoli is a veteran. Uh, you know. Gianluigi Donnarumma, as young as he is, he's a veteran. He's been 200 in gold appearances. for Milan. My yeah, since he was 16 years old. It's astonishing. Um, 
you know, so you're starting to see these guys come of age. You're starting to see Frank Kessie, um, you know, I, has has he been outplayed yet in midfield, um, yeah. you know, in any of these games and and, and, and and what he means and the role that he's taken on, um, you know, so I think a lot of that, a lot of that has happened too. You're starting to see these players start to learn from these experiences and learn from these mistakes. Uh, after a 3-0 loss to Lille, if this would have been the Milan of two years ago, yeah, you would have seen a run of about five or six disappointing results after that. You just yep. didn't have, you know, the mentality or the veteran presence in that dressing room. You didn't have that guy that you could look at that would look at everybody and say, hey, we're going to be fine. Let's write this one off. Let's get on to the next game, you know, because the next opponent isn't going to feel sorry for us. Um, you know, so there's a mental strength to this Milan team. Um you know, and evident that, you know, okay, no Ibra against Fiorentina, maybe they struggle. Well, they were, <laughs> you know, they looked very comfortable yeah. in their performance. I watched the match. Fiorentina didn't look, really didn't look that dangerous. Um, they had moments, uh, but yeah, nothing Blavich significant. had a good shot and that was about it. In a row. Yeah. They had moments, but it was just like, and so it, it it astonishes you to to an extent to see this Milan team start to come of age, and it's the combination of that veteran presence to just kind of hold these young players' hands a little bit, um, and now the young players have figured that out, and they're and they're out there doing it doing it themselves, and now they're be, becoming leaders, uh, you know, within their roles. Jonathan, I don't think uh, with, with obviously the work that Zlatan and, and Chiara are doing with their mentoring, I don't think Pioli or yeah, Pioli nor Lord Bonera are getting enough credit for what they've been doing with the team, uh, especially Pioli. Uh, you know, obviously in, in the past, we've seen what he's done with other, other teams and it's, it's been a struggle. He's been a mid-table, mid-table coach. This, since he's been with Milan, he seems to have found it, especially when that, the whole rumor started about possibly him leaving, Rania coming in. Ever since then, I mean, it's taken to another level, and his, his, his coaching, his managing has been excellent. I think it's very – not enough credit has been given going to him through this long, this long run for him. I think this Milan run has sort of – because it's gone over since lockdown and yeah. since, since the league's – was suspended last year it's sort of been spread over that time and it's not like it's all happened this year and i think it's sort of they've almost got under the radar in a way but and they're up there people haven't necessarily seen the results they've been getting and the resurgence when you look at the stats is unbelievable from years gone by i mean they have they've gone from a side that has been in a way similar to Inter, maddeningly inconsistent. I mean, like you saw in the derby last year, they were two 0 yeah. up at half time and lost four two. Yeah. yeah, that the the mental strength, they're streets away from that now. Yeah. That Milan side of last year is not the Milan side of this year. No. They are they're very well drilled. They're very organised. They they got a great work ethic. They're a team, and they just seem to have a a steely resolve about them. Yeah, and I think uh, what we've seen is this is a very young team as well. It's they may not win this year, but they're built for a long term success. Um, yeah. And and you got to give Pioli credit for not push pushing the buttons, but not over you know over stressing them. Obviously, having Zlatan there and Kiar to really you know take all the pressure, all the outside pressure away from the guys. Uh, it's going a long way, and what you're seeing is a young team growing up before our eyes. And before we know, we may have a a, a team that's going to be challenging for Scudetti's many years to come. Uh, it's 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 really 
fun to watch maybe more for more so for frank and i because we're milanisti but it's still you know for city who's had juventus dominate the league for 10 years it's nice to see another team emerge obviously you got inters obviously in the mix as well atalanta you know they're they're the x factor here and, and napoli now on the outside they're they're a really fun dangerous team uh we may have a, a, a race this year potentially at the end it's still too early to tell many people are still picking uh, uv to run away with it and they could uh but at the moment it looks like it's anybody's league and there's so many different stories that uh, we can follow along, Frank, uh, to see who who's going to win. It's we don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I, I would love. I'm I'm going to remain pragmatic about my expectations of Milan, and I'm going to say top four is still the goal. Um, yeah, I'm with you know, because every every club has their peaks and valleys. This this peak that Milan has been on has been going for a very very long time. And I'm a reasonable man. This will end at some point. They will. They will have a dip in form. They will fall. Zlatan's um, 39. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, so, you know, can they control the damage when that happens and work their way back up? Are, have, have you know have they matured to the point where they can do that? Um, you know, I think would be what we'd uh, you know would be the question that we would ask if we win the title. Great. Um, you know, I get in this argument with Stevie from Milan Weekly Pod all the time. He wants to win the Scudetto every year. And I said, you know what? I said, I, I can live with fourth this year, but I won't live with fourth every year. You know, I'll live with fourth as a springboard to getting getting back to winning titles. Yeah, uh, we don't want to be Arsenal. But, no offense if you're right. an Arsenal fan. Right. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> okay, good. I'm so. going to come back to that slow penalty routine in a minute. You'll love this, but... Okay. Um, back to Milan. I think... Um, I think it's um, all about getting back into the top table and being in the Champions League next year. Yeah, it's yeah. it's small steps. I mean, where they are is fantastic, but it's a big jump to go from where they were to winning the league. And it's about getting big nights at the San Siro Champions League nights. That's what they've got to get back to. And um, top fours, well, now it's massively realistic, um, but. This season is an unusual season, like no other. Yeah. This season, we are in December now, and you're normally heading towards halfway through the season, and we're nowhere near halfway through the season. No. And it's, it, you think at, the, at Christmas we've got an idea, but it's week ten this week, I think, and there's That's 28 crazy. games to go. After. It's crazy. it's going to be. Yeah. It, I tell you what, next year when you've got all these kind of squeezing all these midweek rounds because we've got the Euros next summer, you got. You got the Champions League. When things for teams like Juventus, it'll probably do them a favor if they want to win the league, getting out of Europe mm. because yeah. it's just mad. There's going to be so many games. They, they'll struggle to get them all in. I just don't see how it's going to work because these seasons have to be done by m- middle of May latest. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. Um, winners and losers uh, this weekend, Frank. I'll, I'll start with you. Who are your winners? Who are your losers? I, I mean, I'll actually, I'll go first, really, if you want. Um, for me, obviously, the winners of the weekend are going to be Napoli. Uh, obviously, paying tribute to Dega Maradona, emphatic win for nothing. Uh, wonderful for them. Uh, losers of the week, man. That's you know, th- this is this game is going to be my shot for the be- for the best. But Atalanta, uh, a, a big game against uh, Hellas, Hellas Verona, and. Uh, Hellas really clamped down on them defensively. They really had no answers. Uh, Sylvester has been amazing. We've talked about it for a long time how, how how great of a goalkeeper he is. He stood up in this game and 
Um, again, not finding a way to win in a big game for them. Uh, probably not, maybe not a must-win game, but it was certainly a game they needed to get some points out of, uh, and they failed to do that. So they're my losers of the weekend, Atalanta. Uh, Frank, what about you? I'm with you on the Atalanta shout. I found it interesting, and and we're going to have to watch Atalanta here over the next collection of games. That uh, it sounds like Papu Gomez wasn't cooperating with Gasparini on Tuesday, and that's why he was yanked at halftime, which potentially damaged all of my uh, DraftKings lineups because I had him and Zapata in every lineup. So um, helpful that I had Payet and I had Porto's goalie who made uh, a metric boatload of saves, um, you know, against Manchester City and and got a clean sheet. But um, that's going to be something to watch. Is there a little bit of a rift there between Gomez and, and Gasparini and how does that affect the rest of the team and how does that in turn affect Atalanta? Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think they're the losers there and I, 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 I can't get past, you know, I'm with you. I'm, I'm Napoli as a winner, but I'm also going to give a shot to Inter. That was a much needed response after what was an absolute calamity last week in the champions league against Real Madrid, um, getting exactly what they pay for when they bought Arturo Vidal. Uh, yep. and then, yep. <laughs> uh, you know, regrouping and being able to come back and beat a Sassuolo team that this was, this was their test. This was their, are we, are we, have we arrived and are we for real? And are we going to be a problem for everybody? And Inter carried out their game plan and showed that they weren't. So I'll, I'll go with Inter, but, you know, sentimentally Napoli, uh, considering their performance and considering, um, uh, you know, how they did. Yeah. Uh, John, uh, if you had to pick winners and losers of this weekend, uh, who would you pick? Well, I've obviously got to pick someone different now. <laughs> I've got to, got to think someone else. Yeah. I don't, any other week, I try and think someone else but Napoli. But the whole yeah. the whole uh, motion of it, and the, yeah. the, they're obviously the winners of the week. But the only sad thing, really, was that there, are, there were no fans there to, yeah. to pay yeah. tribute because it would have been the Derby oh, of the wow. South. Pack stadium, yeah, you know, yeah. that's a, that's the a real shame of all this. The losers this week, I am going to go for Lazio, and it brings me on to another point which I would love to make if that's all right. Please sure. do. And that is teams that are struggling for league form that are dominating Europe, yeah, Lazio, Juventus, Barcelona, Barcelona mid table. And yep. they won five out of five. There's teams that are having a very stuttering time of it in their domestic leagues. But in Europe, they're flying. And Juventus and Lazio are two cases in point. They've To get four points against Dortmund they're, and Haaland scoring goals left, right and centre, they've, you know, they've, um, they've really all but there in the knockout stages. And it's really interesting that, that there are these teams that seem to be struggling domestically, but cruising in europe yeah uh and another team is that uh, is gladbach and in, in germany they're they're like yeah. seventh in the table right now but they're leading their group uh, and usually we've seen in the past at least with the italian teams the opposite where they do really well in city and then they go to europe like a atalanta last year uh, yeah last year at the beginning at least and, uh, and other teams in the past where they, and they struggled mightily in europe and lazio has been also a culprit of this in europa league last year they did really well in the season last year obviously going toe-to-toe with juventus and then really capitulating in, in Europa League. So it's funny how that happens sometimes. But, hey, sometimes people, you know, the good teams will get up for the big games. We used to see in the mid, mid-2000s, mid Milan always doing okay in the league. They go to the Champions League, they're just dominating everybody, and they're winning, and they, you know, winning, winning the, 
Champions League trophies and stuff. So, uh, yeah, good shout, uh, Frank. Uh, oh, you actually, you uh, Jonathan, you mentioned something about the slow, the slow run ups with the penalty kicks before we move on. Well, touch on we that. To, I have to bring this one up. You might have to YouTube this. Um, I, for my sins, I have a family curse inflicted upon me, which is to follow <laughs> Charlton Athletic. Um, and obviously, we had a, a routine. One nil home defeat tonight, um, which is fairly standard. But we had a player playing for us called Lyle Taylor, who had the most unbelievable penalty routine. He literally would start um, on the edge of the box and literally trot, 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 and just place it in the corner. And just, just look him up. Just look up Lyle Taylor, L-Y-L-E. I'm looking at this now. <laughs> Penalty is phenomenal. Anyway, he played for us for Charlton, and you'll see uh, when you look at it what his routine's like. It's phenomenal. <laughs> well, uh, while Frank's looking at that, um, we usually pick our, our top five goals of the week, and as a guest, we're not, we'll give you time. We're going to go first to, to hear ours, and you don't have to pick a top five. You can pick your favorite goal of the weekend. Um, I'll go first, Frank, if you don't mind. My top five. Uh, first, my honorable mention is going to be Qualiarella with his volley. Uh, I thought it was a nice goal by him. Coming in at number five, Pavoletti with his nice back heel flick uh, in, in the loss uh, in his game. Uh, coming number four, Forestieri for Udinese. Nice uh, volley. Nice to get the nice control off the chest and then volleying off of that uh, short side on the keeper. Number three is actually going to be Giassi's goal. It was actually Bastoni doing a nice slalom run on the left hand side, uh, going past all like three or four defenders and finally crossing it into Giassi. So more for the assists in that one. Number two, Insigne's free kick. Wonderful free kick. I mean, what more can you say? It's a beautiful shot. Only to be outdone by another Maradona-esque type goal. I'm giving number one to Matteo Politano. Uh, this wonderful goal beating five players, including the goalkeeper in that one. Uh, that was my number one goal of the week. Frank, what is your uh, top five? Do you have a top five? I have a one, uh, okay. and I have I have Insigne's free kick okay. um, and, and going and getting the Maradona jersey. Um you know, I think that, I think that, I think that captures the whole weekend, and I think that that's the uh, symbol that we should be left with from this uh, this week from this past weekend in Serie A. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, that's a very disrespectful penalty, by the way. <laughs> Lyle, it's Taylor, unreal, Lyle, Lyle isn't Taylor. It? He, it's unreal. Every single went, one, though. And, who's and the scores, who's, who's the Irish UFC time. fighter? Who, who's the Irish UFC fighter again? What's his name? McGregor. Uh, Conor McGregor. McGregor. All he needs to do is walk. Like McGregor, the the strut that he does after he wins, so if he does that, walking up to a ball in a penalty. <laughs> well, the thing about Lyle Taylor, and uh, I'll tell you about my top goal in a moment. But the thing about Lyle Taylor, which we've never forgiven him for, was he was out of contract last summer, and we um, we we we've got a new owner now, but the old owners were disastrous, and there was no money, blah blah. And he, when they came back after lockdown, he refused to play for us. He was like best goal scorer in the team by Marlon. We got relegated injury time on the last day. So there you go. We're not we're not fans of Lyle Taylor anymore. He's sort of <laughs> you love him or you hate him. He's that kind of player. Uh. <laughs> but my favorite goal of the week, um you stole my thunder. Yeah, it's gotta be Insignia. I think you can only look at one goal. It wasn't technically the greatest free kick you'll ever see, but yeah. it's the more moment. about what it meant. Yeah. And the reaction and everything, and it it showed it, it it was football in its in its purest form, free kick, wonderful celebration, respect, and just 
it had everything that goal and it, it, it it's what i'll take away from last week more than anything yeah yeah no, absolutely i agree with both you guys there uh obviously the moment was uh huge and he he stepped up and i mean he's right is a perfect person to score that first goal for napoli no doubt about that so um john before we let you go we have to christen you with uh america's favorite game uh and the world's favorite game who won calcio twitter uh we got some interesting ones this weekend uh some that we'll probably run right through but um you're gonna help us pick a winner in this one uh, we're gonna start off frank i'll start out with the first one uh it comes from our friends at the rete this way a calcio podcast that's at rete this way it says uh, Parma, Parma have won their Coppa Italia match against Cosenza. Match to the, much to the dismay of Cosenza team president Eugenio Guaracio, who is also yet to catch Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that haircut! My goodness, a little problem with the hair there, huh? Yeah, yeah. So, all right, uh, your buddy Dave is the next one. Yeah, is Dave going to go back to back at uh, Forza Inter Haiti? Uh, Bobby Gags owed us a good performance today after his nightmare miss last time we played Sassuolo, but outside of the bottom, outside of the boot bottom corner finish, sheesh, that was filthy. I just, uh, <laughs> just for calling him Bobby Gags, I had no idea that that was going on in reference to Roberto Gagliardini. And the reason why this is funny and the reason why this is nominated is because Bobby Gags is just such an appropriate name for him. Yeah, it is. It is. Because he gags all the time and misses yeah. open nets. <laughs> uh, well, we'll stick it on Gagliardini because uh, you mentioned uh, it, you didn't realize it was International Palan Gagliardini Day. Uh, this comes from our friend Alex Dono from Calcio Con, uh, Calcio Connection Podcast. Excuse me. He says, up to this point, his entire highlight reel consisted of goals against Genoa. So it's nice to see him branching out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a response to your tweet, Frank. Yeah. Uh, wonderfully done. Uh, let's see. El Presidente has one, huh? What, yeah, he uh, he decided to nominate himself, huh? Yeah. Uh, let me just hold on a second. I just lost my train of thought here. Um, Would you like me to take the Italian? Uh, let's see. No, I will do this. Okay. Uh, Pirlo saying, quote, Abbiamo davanti... What's the Italian word for 10? Dieci. Dieci, yes. Abbiamo davanti dieci partite which means we have 10 games ahead that we must play as if they were all finals <laughs> off to a good start, good start as per the plan <laughs> so uh president day uh nominating himself you know nobody does frank. that nobody frank. does nobody does that around here what are you talking about people nominate me <laughs> uh, next one is uh from uh, from uh, adriano Point us in the right direction here to Kareem. It's at football underscore Kareem. He says Andrea Pirlo without Ronaldo. It looks like Agnelli. It's mixed up Agnelli and him. <laughs> you could almost say that's Giampaolo too. Yeah, I, I was just thinking, I was like, that looks like Giampaolo. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh. All right, Milan Club fit. Uh, Milan uh, Club Philly uh, provided a nomination at Diablo 816. Bonero's vest deserves a place in Casa Milan. It actually does. It does, yeah. It's doing very well. I have a vest like that. Uh, I do. Do you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, this next one comes from at Che Guevara. It's at C-H-E-G-I-A-E-V-A-R-A. And it says, if 2020 was a picture, Nicholas Bentner and Nicholas Anelka uh, looking like, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> oh lord bentner lord bentner yeah. oh my goodness uh um, next one we're gonna skip this next one because i think it's a little yeah. distasteful considering the situation yeah, any other I day tell me you've been fine but yeah um 
And uh, that is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, this is at Sampdorista. Uh, Inter won, and they moved from the fourth place to the fourth place. <laughs> Grandpa opening up the Christmas present and seeing he's got get, got the same shirt that he wore. Oh, Did you ever good. steal your dad's? Did you ever steal your dad's tools and then uh, get it for him as a present? Uh, no, I haven't done that. No, no. <laughs> Some comedian talked about that years and years ago, and I actually, I actually nearly pulled that off. <laughs> well, gentlemen, uh, those, those were our picks. Uh, you got a winner out of these. I'm gonna go with the hedgehog one right here. I think uh, that's funny to me. The hairstyle. <laughs> I'm I'm with you. That was a that was a great shout. Uh, Rete this way, uh, I think, is a winner. But uh, let's leave it up to John. John can yeah. pick the winner. Oh, hedgehog all day long. Hedgehog, hedgehog all day long. All right. <laughs> Got to be the hedgehog. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Got to uh, be that. Fantastic. That's from Rete this way. The, our friends right. over there. Retweeting it now. Wonderful. Wonderful. Congratulations. At Rete this way. way, yeah. Well, Frank, you're you're back. Do you want to do our wonderful closing and uh, sign off our guests, or would you like me to do it? You've been you've you've been rocking it. Close us out, man. All right. Well, first of all, thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan Great uh, for for joining us tonight, talking about your book. Uh, please again tell us tell us about the title of the book, where they can find it, where they can when our listeners and followers can find you. It's called Galazzo, the Football Italia Years. It's on Amazon. It's on Kindle Store. It's a very good Christmas present. I I heartily recommend it, even though I'm very unbiased in these matters. <laughs> but yeah, get it on Amazon or Kindle Store. Um, it's £9.99 on Amazon, £7.99 the Kindle Store, which is probably something very similar in dollars. And um, yeah, it's, um, it's a nostalgic trip down memory lane. That's the best way I can describe it. Any fan of Italian football in the 90s will be all over it. Beautifully welcome. Well, thank you very much. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I got my book. I'm in the middle of reading it. I'm enjoying it. Uh, please go out there and give that a read. It's uh, it's excellent stuff. You'll not be disappointed with that. Uh, Frank, uh, your turn to plug away. Uh, I'm at FTC underscore 21. Um, oh, I got to get used to this <laughs> camera reflection <laughs> um, on Twitter. Um and uh, I will again be on uh, Man of the Match with Alex Donnell on Friday uh, at 2 o'clock Eastern uh, to uh, talk about all things Serie A with Alex on uh, Onside Radio. Uh, that is at Onside Radio. So check all that out. Um, about 15 minutes. Um, but uh, Alex does great work down there on the uh, Miami sports scene and uh, does great work as well uh, with Jerry over there at Calcio Connection. Ah, beautifully well, very, very well done. Uh, definitely give it a listen. It's definitely a good listen for sure, and it's uh, it's a nice uh, short take with with you and Alex. Uh, we're always hooking up with Calci Connection now. We just might as well just merge the pods here eventually. <laughs> uh, as always, you can follow me at r underscore k h a r m a n everywhere here, uh, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Uh, but please make sure you follow the podcast on here. If you're on uh, YouTube, make sure you follow, like, leave comments. Uh, you can follow us on SoundCloud, anywhere that streams music, Apple Podcasts, you name it, iHeartRadio. We are there. Uh, follow Twitter, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Seria Sit Down. Um, and as always, uh, make sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.